you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. It's been several months since I've been able to say, turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. We are back. It is the return of an old friend that we've been studying for probably a year and a half already. We have made it to Luke chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 49 through 59 this morning. The words are also printed in your bulletins. Hear now the word of the Lord. And this is Jesus speaking here. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, In one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison." I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, you may notice something a little different this morning. Um, We made it out of the house this morning with everything needed for four kids, and we made it out with the four kids, uh, but I neglected my jacket. (laughs) So uh, it's a little different this morning. I hope you bear with me. I'm sorry about that. But uh, we figured it got the kids here. Uh, the jacket, uh, unfortunately, is hanging up at home. So sorry about that. But um, this morning, as we get back into the book of Luke, uh, we come to a very difficult passage here. Jesus is not mincing words. He is speaking very strongly. Um, he is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, back in chapter 9, we saw that Jesus uh, turned his face towards Jerusalem. And he knew that the end was coming, and so he starts to speak very strongly about his, um, about his calling, why he is here on earth, and uh, what he has come to do. Jesus longed for the necessary to happen in order to see God's will to be accomplished. Because all the signs are pointed towards God's will to be done, do not wait. Do whatever is necessary to reconcile with God. 
This is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Do whatever is necessary to reconcile with God. So there's two kinds of people in the world. In fact, we can easily divide the world uh, into different categories, and we do it a lot. Uh, in Colorado, where Stephanie and I were able to vacation recently with Stephanie's father, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are skiers and there are snowboarders. We, as a family, were a skiing family. Elliot wanted to snowboard for the first time, uh, and we said, no. <laughs> we're a skiing family. You learn to ski first, and if you want to later, you can learn to snowboard. But there is a, def a definite division there between skiers and snowboarders. There's a division in our country. There's two kinds of people. There's Republicans and there's Democrats. There's people who live in the South and people who wish they live in the South, right? <laughs> um, there's, uh, there's lots of divisions that we can make. There's people who, who call that carbonated drink soda, and there's people who are right and who call it pop, because that's what it's called, um, if you're from the North like myself. Um, there's people, and um, there are people who, in the dead of winter, wear shorts to church, and there's people in the dead of winter who wear pants. I hope you're not offended by that, Claire. <laughs> but there's just different types of people in the world. We can easily divide uh, people into two camps. In fact, it's even been said there are people who divide the world into two types of people, and there's people who don't. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at Jesus, and he is, causing, uh, he is saying that there is division in the world. In fact, he came to bring division. Because in reality, there are two groups of people in the world. Those who believe in Christ and those who do not. So as we look at this text this morning, we see that Jesus longed so greatly for the necessary to happen in order for God's will to be accomplished. He starts off here with a, a couple of very strong verses. Uh, it could be a little confusing as well. He says that he came to cast fire on the earth and would that it already were kindled. You know, back in Luke 3, verse 16, we see John the Baptist, and he says that Jesus came to baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. So think of Jesus' life this way. Think of Jesus' life as a preparation. In a sense, he is gathering firewood. And he is building, he's about to kindle a fire that he sets ablaze with his death. And with his death and his resurrection, it kindles a fire on the earth. And in a sense, what he's doing is baptizing the earth with fire. Now this fire that he longs to cast on the earth is a fire of two things. It represents two different things. It is a fire of judgment. And we need to understand this. In our communicants class, we were talking about the fact that God has two characteristics. He is both just and he is merciful. Uh, he is just in a sense that God will bring the proper judgment to the world. When fire comes, it burns away the chaff. Uh, this is a, an image that we see often in Scripture. It is the fire of judgment. Those who do not believe in Christ are consumed by his fire. But it's also a fire of purification. When something is placed in a fire, say a, a metal, it is heated up, 
It is uh, heated up for, for purification so that the, it can be refined and the dross, any impurities, can be removed. This is also what Christ's death does. It removes uh, our sin. It removes, removes the impurities in our lives. And it purifies us. This is the fire that Jesus is longing to cast on the earth, and he longs that it would be kindled. But before he can cast this fire to the earth, to baptize with fire in the Holy Spirit, something has to happen first. And that is he needs to endure the fire. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. This is his baptism of fire. His death is like being burned up with the fire of God's wrath that is placed on him. He suffers the judgment of sin, and he achieves the purification from sin as well. So he receives the judgment of God, and he now opens up the gates for purification to be refined from our sins. And Jesus says that he is distressed He says, how great is my distress until it is accomplished. As you can imagine, he's distressed for himself. Jesus, being God, he knows what is about to happen. He knows that he's going to suffer at the hands uh, of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, of the leaders of the people. People are going to turn against him. They're going to call for his crucifixion. He is going to be beaten, scourged. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be hung on a cross. But above that, he is going to suffer the wrath of God. And he knows that this is coming. Even in the garden, Jesus said, Lord, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Not my will, but yours be done. I imagine, because I've never actually had this experience, I imagine it's like a woman who is entering her the later stages of her pregnancy. She knows that the pains of childbirth are about to come, and I can imagine it's pretty painful. Um, I have with, I've experienced it uh, by my wife's side. Uh, I've seen the pain that she's had to endure, and And as you enter into those later stages of pregnancy, you know it's going to happen. Um, But the blessings of the child, uh, for Christ, he knew the blessings of redemption were about to come. But how great was his distress until it was accomplished. He's not reacting in a sense of a, a woe is me, I'm going to have to endure all this. He's just exhibiting a simple human reaction. Because he is like us. Can you blame him for wanting this to be accomplished? Not only is he distressed in a sense for himself, but in a greater way, he's also distressed for us. Because he longs to see his people receive redemption. He longs for his people to have their redemption accomplished. And until his death is achieved, redemption is still needing to be accomplished. So he is longing for this as he's looking forward to the cross. He wants the results that will come from his death. And ultimately, he wants the glory of God. So and this is where the words of Jesus get difficult. 
He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And he goes on to describe how houses will be divided, uh, father against son, um, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Houses will be divided. And he said he is coming to bring that. Now, how can Jesus... How can this man who is called the Prince of Peace say these things? You know, every Advent, every Christmas time, we read Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we read the angel's message to the shepherds who say in Luke 2.14, they say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what is Jesus talking about here? What is this division that he is talking about? First of all, we do need to understand that Jesus has brought peace. This is very important. Yes, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, The angels were right in singing peace on earth. In fact, Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the life and death and resurrection of Christ, we have been reconciled to God. There is peace. Those who believe in Christ have a relationship of peace with God. That is true. But, as Jesus says, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who believe in Christ and those who do not. And this is the division that Jesus speaks of. You know, the gospel is extremely divisive. Because in the gospel, the truth is proclaimed. You know, I put up on Facebook uh, a couple of days ago uh, an image with this passage in it that uh, Jesus came to bring division And uh, an uncle of mine who is a friend on on Facebook, uh, his response to that, where there is truth, there will always be division. And that is true. The gospel is a claim to absolute truth. Some are going to believe it, some are not. And it's going to cause division. Some claims of truth are not that big of a deal. When I was growing up, we always celebrated Christmas on Christmas Eve. That's just when we did it. That was our family tradition, and to me, uh, that was the way Christmas was supposed to be celebrated. On Christmas Eve, you open up your presents. Well, my wife's family, they did it on Christmas morning. They would get up, and first thing, they would run down, and uh, they would open up their presents around the Christmas tree. Now, Stephanie and I had to work through this as a couple, because there's two kinds of people in the world, those who celebrate on Christmas Eve and those on Christmas Day. So what were we going to do? Well, we celebrate on Christmas Day. (laughs) My wife wins that one. That's fine. Um, That is fine. Those things are not a big deal. Whether you call it soda or pop, uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. But the gospel claims are a big deal, and they cause deep divisions. And these are the divisions that Jesus is speaking about here. Imagine for a moment that you grow up in a Muslim country. That's all that you know. And in your 20s, you come to believe the gospel, and you are converted to Christianity. 
Spiritually speaking, we understand that this person has now gone from death to life in Christ. But in, in his life, physically, he could go from life to death. He loses his family, his livelihood, his culture. He is cast out, and often they have to run for their lives because the gospel causes division. If you don't think that Jesus is causing division, just look at what is happening right now in the Middle East, especially with ISIS. They're targeting and killing people simply because those people believe the truth about Christ. Christ causes division. And the way that ISIS is dealing with this division between those uh, who believe and those who do not believe is that they are killing And this should not come as a surprise to us because Jesus told us that there would be division and he told us that there would be tribulation amongst this division. In fact, in John 16, 33, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. But in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, our approach to this division should be much, much different than what ISIS is doing in the world right now. You know, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verses 40, uh, chapter 5, verses 44 through 45, he says this. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We know that these divisions exist between those who believe and those who do not believe. Our response should not be to kill those who do not believe. Our response should be to show love to those who do not believe so that they will come to know the gospel and believe in Jesus. So as Jesus tells us in our passage, the gospel is so divisive that it even divides families. You know, wouldn't it be great if everyone in the family shared faith in Christ? But we know that that's not always the case. Sometimes family members are divided in their faith because Christ is more important than families. What's more important, faith in Christ or a harmonious family on earth? We know that it's faith in Christ. And as we have seen already, divisions in the world should not surprise us because Jesus told us that it would happen. But it should surprise us when there is divisions among the family of God. And what we need to be careful is, is when we attempt to, defy this, uh, to apply this, church to, or this, this verse to divisions in the church. You know, there's lots of divisions in the church today. And I'm not just talking about denominations. You know, if you drive down the street here in Little Rock, you see all the different denominations. If you look up the word Presbyterian, do a Google search. You'll see tons of different Presbyterian denominations. Um, Some of these are right and good. Uh, Some of these have come about for maybe not so great a reasons. Um, uh, The denominations, though, is not what I'm talking about. What I find sad is the prejudice and the discrimination that we have towards people of different denominations, Uh, that we as Presbyterians often look down on others. And let's be honest, we do that often. Our theology is so rich and I love it. But for those who don't believe the same things we do, we look, tend to look down our noses on them because we say we have this better theology. 
we know the truth or we know it in a more robust way. And it causes divisions among us as Christians. What's ironic is that the one thing that is meant to unify those who believe it is often used to divide us. And that's the gospel. As brothers and sisters in Christ, there should be no divisions among us. The one thing that should truly bring us together is the gospel. Where there may be divisions outside the church, inside the church, we should be characterized by unity and harmony and charity towards one another. And honestly, I don't know if these three words would often be used to describe the church or Christians today. Would an outsider looking into Trinity use the words of unity and harmony and charity of us? The gospel unifies us because it puts us all on the same playing field. Yes, I may be up on a platform right now as I am preaching God's word, but in reality, one of the things that I was told when I was in college that will always stick with me is that one of my professors told me this, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That we all come with our sin. We all come with our shame to the cross. There is no one who is better And there is honestly no one who is worse. We come the same. We are all sinners. None of us are able to save ourselves. Every one of us needs Christ. And every one of us is saved by his blood. Every one of us has been justified and is going through this process of sanctification. And that means that no one right now is perfect. The reason that the gospel unifies believers is because it causes every single one of us to admit the truth about ourselves, that we need Christ. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 133, and I think it speaks to the beauty of how the gospel unifies us. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So even though the gospel causes division between those who believe and those who do not believe, we should seek to live in peace and in harmony and in unity with one another. You know what? Are there going to be conflicts between brothers and sisters in Christ? Always. Until Christ comes back, there's always going to be uh, conflicts. There's always going to be differences. But we need to seek to reconcile those differences and those conflicts for the glory of God to promote our unity and to promote peace. So finally, in our passage this morning, we're going to conclude by looking at the last couple of verses that our passage about how the coming of Christ did bring division in the world. But Jesus is calling us to be aware and to look at what is happening. You know, he uses a weather illustration this morning, uh, in our passage this morning. You know, last night as Stephanie and I were going to bed, we were wondering, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? So what did we do? We didn't open up the door and look outside. We got out our phone, looked at our app. What's the weather app say? Well, it's going to be 60s and raining. And lo and behold, as I got up this morning, it was raining. So uh, we have a little different uh, techniques to to know what the weather is going to be like. Um, 
but we can pay attention to the things that are going around, on around us. Jesus is telling the people here to pay attention to what is happening and see what is going on. We care so much about the weather, but do you see what is really going on, spiritually speaking, in the world? And he calls the people hypocrites because they pay so much attention to the weather and don't pay attention to the things that are much more important, like the spiritual realities. And the signs were clear for people then. They had Jesus there. He was doing the things that the Old Testament talked about. He was fulfilling the prophecies that the Jews knew so well. He was performing miracles. He was teaching about the kingdom of God. He was doing things that they had never seen in the world. There had never been anyone like Jesus. And Jesus is saying, wake up, see what is happening. And he goes on to tell this little parable about settling up your debts. And what he's saying here is, wake up, see what's happening. See what is going on. Settle up your debts because the fire that I was sent to kindle is about to be thrown on the earth. You will either be consumed in judgment or refined or, and purified. Don't get caught on the wrong end. You see, as we enter into this courtroom, in a sense, into God's courtroom, we all are coming in with the same accusation, and we're all coming in knowing that we are guilty. Satan, our accuser, has every right to accuse us because of our sin. So what Jesus is telling us here, don't even make it to the courtroom, because you know what's going to happen. Settle up out of court. Settle up with God, your Father. Because he is a gracious and a merciful God. So the signs were clear for the people then and they are clear for us today as well. Revelation chapter 22 verse 20 says this. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, surely I am coming soon. And John responds, amen. Come Lord Jesus, come. You know, we don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back. That coming soon was 2,000 years ago. So for the last 2,000 years, in a sense, Jesus' coming has been soon. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in another 2,000 years. We don't know what soon means on God's timeline. The most important thing isn't knowing the exact when. What's important is understanding the signs around us and knowing that it could happen at any moment. And because it could happen soon, Jesus is warning us, do not get caught unaware. Settle up your debts. Satan, our accuser, has an airtight case against us. We are sinners in God's sight. We are guilty as charged. And if we have to walk into God's courtroom on our own, we will be sentenced. We will have to endure that fire of judgment we will have to pay every last penny before we could get out. And that's impossible. So we will never be able to escape God's wrath. So what Jesus is saying to us this morning is this, to admit our guilt to God. And what he will do is he will take that sentence that we deserve, he will place it on Christ, and instead he will give us Christ's record. His record will become ours. And instead of a death sentence, what we receive is life. So in the end, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who, by grace, through faith in Christ, 
receive God's mercy. And there are those who receive God's justice. If you take a step back, in reality, there's one type of person in the world. Those who deserve God's justice because of our sin. But God, in his great love for us, chose to show mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So God is calling us this morning to to not hesitate. The time is near. It is soon. Be reconciled to God through Christ. If you've never confessed your sins to God, there is no better time than the present. If you need uh, help walking through that, come and talk to me or someone else here in the church. We would love to walk you through that. If you have put your faith and trust in Christ, continue to confess your sins to God. Don't hold anything back. There is great freedom in knowing that even our deepest and darkest sins have been nailed to the cross, and we bear them no more, as that great song goes, and we know that it is well with our soul. So be reconciled to God and let us be reconciled to one another through Christ. Whatever grievances we have with one another, in the grand scheme of things, uh, they, they lose their perspective. We need to lay aside our differences and live as brothers and sisters in Christ, enjoying the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, you who have come to bring division here on earth because you have come to bring the truth. You have come to show your mercy and your judgment on sin. Father, I thank you for the mercy that you have shown to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would confess our sins to you daily, that we would confess our sins to you constantly, because they have been nailed to the cross, and we bear them no more. Thank you for your mercy and for, your, uh, for the love that you have shown through Christ. I pray that we as brothers and sisters would have unity, that we would have harmony, that we would uh, treat each other with charity, and that those who don't believe the truth of the gospel, we would show love to them, sharing the gospel with them, that you would draw them to yourselves. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.